0: Well, good morning, everybody. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That is correct. That is correct. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be talking about the resurrection, the resurrection from the dead. And uh, guess what? That's for you. That's for you. Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross, not just to forgive us of our sins, not just for some one-time atonement. That's what the animal sacrifices were for, right? But Jesus Christ died on the cross because the power of the blood of the Son of God was enough to cover the sins of all mankind past present and future. That's why he was able to, when he died, he was able to descend, as the Bible says, into the lower parts of the earth and preach salvation to those who were in chains. In other words, those who were down in, in, in Hades in Abraham's bosom, which was where even the righteous dead went. Why? Because even though they were righteous, the likes of Moses, the likes of David, the likes of Elijah, they still could not enter into the presence of Almighty God because of sin. They were separated from God. Even though they were rewarded for their righteousness and their faithfulness, they could not be in God's presence because no animal sacrifice was truly ever enough to atone or to cover up for the sins of all mankind. The gravity of sin, the power of sin, the enormity of sin, and the absolute separation that it caused between God and his creation was complete and the only thing that could really make atonement for that and really make a covering for that was the blood of the son of god himself behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and so when he died on the cross he was then able to descend into the lower parts of the earth as scripture says and go up to abraham and isaac and jacob and moses and david and samuel and all of the prophets and all of the righteous who had died before him and say hey guess what i'm here Isaiah 53, baby, right? I'm here. And what do you think they said? Amen. And he said, now let's go to the Father, right? And the Bible says he led a great train. And from that day forward, from that day forward, you and I, when we die, if we die before the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we die with our sins atoned for if we have faith, if we've put our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us by dying on the cross at Calvary for you and for me. If we have put our hope and our faith and our trust in that, we live in what is called a state of grace. Day by day, the blood of Jesus Christ sanctifies you, it cleanses you, it purifies you, and it grants you access into the kingdom. And that is not just in some ethereal plane later on down the road when we're going to go to the good place up in the sky, the big man upstairs, all that stuff. No, no, no. You've been granted access now. That's how you're able to go to the Lord in prayer. And that's why when we pray, we pray, in Jesus' name I pray. That's why we say that. Because Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one goes to the Father except through me. You see, that sacrifice was complete and it was for all. And it is absolutely necessary for anyone who desires eternal life, for anyone who desires a relationship with God Almighty, that blood sacrifice is absolutely essential. That's why Jesus Christ, when he was in the garden and he was praying and he was suffering because he knew what he was about to go through and he was sweating, the Bible says, as it were, great drops of blood, and he begged to the Father, please, God, if there's any way, if there's any way, please let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not your will be done, my, excuse me, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And it was the will of the Father that Jesus Christ would go to the cross. And what was God's statement in that? He was saying to you and to me and to everyone who would ever live on the face of the planet, it is absolutely necessary. There is no other way than for my only son to drink of the cup and to drink it to its fullest, that all the sins of all the people of all the ages would be put upon him, and I would have to. Turn my back, God Almighty says, and reject my own son for you. That is the greatness and the enormity, the immensity of the love that our Heavenly Father has for you. You are a great treasure in His eyes because He gave His only begotten Son. But make no mistake about it and never, ever, Christian, make apologies for it. He is the only way. He is the only truth, and he is the only life. Amen? And we're here this morning to talk about the life. Ha <laughs> the life. It's fantastic. Well, let's. did we pray yet? We didn't pray yet. Let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we love you, we praise you, we thank you, we glorify you, Father. If nothing else happens in this place today, and if we don't get anything from this message, Father... Being here together to worship you, to praise you, and to thank you for what you've accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ, is enough for us, Lord. May that fill our hearts and fill our minds, and may your spirit fill this place, Lord. Fill our hearts with gladness, not a gladness or a joy that the world could ever give, Father, but the gladness and the joy that only you can give, Father. Fill us up today, Father, and help us to take from this place the joy of our Lord, into whatever house we go to after this, Lord, let us carry that light with us. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've entitled The Purpose of the Resurrection, Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. Um, The Bible does not teach us about the resurrection as some, like we were talking about a little bit before, some ethereal hope that no one can really be sure about. You just have to take it by faith. But instead, the Bible teaches the resurrection as though it was a knowable fact. And while one has to believe in it by faith, once believed, the Spirit leads us down the path of understanding the thing that can only be known to the spiritually discerning, right? Did you follow that? In other words, the things of God, the truths of God, and the word of God, the scripture tells us, can only be known by the spiritual man. They are spiritually discerned. The natural man knoweth not. They can't know it. There's no possibility for them to know it, nor to understand it. So when they look at you like you got three heads, and unfriend you on Facebook... Don't you feel bad when Jesus said, listen, if the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. And we're not supposed to look at that and the world rejecting us because of what we believe as some sort of dejected thing. We're like, gee, I guess this is what we got to go to. No, no, you got to look at it from a different perspective. You got to look at it from a heavenly perspective and from the economy of the divine. Here's what it looks like. They don't know. We ought not to feel sorry for ourselves or to be sad when we're rejected by the people of this world. They truly don't know, nor can they, until their understanding is woken and activated by a simple faith and trust put into Jesus Christ. And the people asked him, what may we do that we may do the work of God? And Jesus said to the people, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he sent. You let me worry about the rest. And the Holy Spirit upon the day of our salvation enters into our life and it gives us eyes finally to see and ears finally to hear and hearts finally to know and believe and understand all of the awesome truths of God's Word and the promises that are contained therein. And what we find about the resurrection is that its purpose is metamorphosis, to change a being of one kind into another one entirely. Our teaching text this morning is found in 1 Corinthians. If you want to turn there, you can kind of leave your Bible open there to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, Really, the whole chapter is is an absolutely awesome, incredible teaching on uh, resurrection. We're going to focus on some verses here and there. But in reading Paul's epistles, uh, you have to understand that there is an assumption That the reader has faith. That the reader has put their hope and trust into Jesus Christ, okay? That the assumption is made. When Paul wrote those letters, he wrote those letters not to unbelievers, but he wrote those letters to the church. Now, why do we tell unbelievers to read the Bible then? Because God knows what we do not, and God sees what we cannot, And so if there's anything, why did I get saved? Why me? Why did God allow me to to believe to come into the king? I have no idea. In fact, sometimes I wonder. You know what I mean? I wouldn't let me in, and I probably wouldn't let some of you in either. No, I'm totally halfway joking. So um, why? I don't understand, but here's what I know. He has allowed me to see. And there's something in the heart of a person. This is the way I believe it and the way I look at it and see it because it helps me to understand it, that there's something within the heart of certain people. There's something there to believe. There's something, there's a spark there, the understanding of, of wanting to know what is the truth? What is reality? And what is my responsibility in this life and in this world? And I believe to those people, God will find them. What about the person who lives in the jungle in the deepest, darkest depths of South America? God will find them. I have no... Well, gee, I don't know. That's, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. What are you going to do now, God? He's going to find them. Same way he found you. And the same way he found me. So we tell people, read the scriptures. Read the scriptures. Read the scriptures. Because as soon as that word and that faith hit each other and ignite, boom. It happens, and salvation takes place, and the Spirit enters in, and a metamorphosis begins to take place. Uh, In reading uh, Paul's epistles, like I said, we have to understand that it's assumed, okay, it's assumed that the readers have faith. But right out of the gate, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when addressing the question of what and how concerning the resurrection, Paul answers like any good teacher would you big dummy, you big dummy, how can you not know these things? You ought to know these things. Now, I would assume that Paul taught mostly the same things wherever he started churches, but after his letters to the Corinthian church and his letter to the Roman church, he would write this, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. And that is, in other words, in people. What may be known of God is manifest in people, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even, even, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, God gave us the things in the natural world, so much of the creation that God made in the natural world is for you and I, so that we can look at it and go, there's a God. There's a God. Not, not there's goo to you by way of the zoo. Okay? And if you're a Christian and you have, if you have a, a, a heart activated by faith, that's why to us, when we think about the, the concept, the idea of evolution, the concept and the idea that the absolutely staggering, breathtaking enormity of creation could somehow happen completely by happenstance, completely random, if you know the living God, you understand that is silly. And this is how Paul talks to the church, but some people will say, How and why and what foolish one. You know, Paul was not politically correct. You know that, right? In fact, I joke around all the time saying, I just know that Paul would not like me. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not joking. Like, I really believe that Paul would be like that listen, that fat kid, he drives me insane. Keep him away from me, okay? I just have that feeling. Maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. But Paul strikes me as the kind of person, no nonsense. Absolutely no nonsense. No prisoners when it came to the kingdom of heaven. Paul never pulled punches, he never pulled punches. You know, just little video clips I'd like to see, you know, when the, when the servant girl is following them as he's preaching the gospel and she's filled with an evil spirit. And yet, even though she's filled with an evil spirit, she's saying, listen to this man. He's preaching the truth of God. He's preaching the truth of God. And after day after day, and Paul's walking around and going, be a good witness, be a good testimony, be nice, be nice, Paul, be nice, stop it, shut your mouth, be nice. He finally can't take it anymore. And he turns around and goes, and he rebukes the demon and drives her out and it creates an uproar, almost a riot, Right? Paul pulled no punches. Paul took no prisoners. And when Paul taught you something by the power of the Holy Spirit, he expected you to remember it. He expected you to heed it and to live your life by it. Um, Paul expected the churches that he planted to know and understand. And just as importantly, to continue in the doctrine that they were born into. And he gets after them when they do not. Uh, And here's that doctrine, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. Listen to this. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Like, hello, did you believe in vain or not? Do you believe these things? Did you get saved or didn't you get saved? Okay, let's talk about these things, okay? Remember, okay, here we go. Remedial class, Paul continues. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. So Paul here is genuinely perplexed that it is going around the church that there really is no resurrection from the dead. He's absolutely perplexed by that because it was central to the gospel message that he preached to them. It was absolutely central that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Faith gives us the ability to believe, to understand, and to continue in that belief. I'm going to say that again. Faith gives us the ability to believe, to understand, and to continue in that belief. There are things in the Bible that, to me so definitively and definitely prove not only its authenticity but also that of the gospel of jesus christ in the new testament that i don't understand how people don't believe it but that's because i've been activated by faith i'm going to give you an example Uh, In the book of Genesis, there is a genealogy, and I'm going to go through this very quickly, and I'm going to give you the information so that you can look this up for yourself. But this is one of those things, guys, that when I find this, when I found this out about the Bible, that's all I, I need. Like, what about this? What about that? This is all I ever would ever need to see to know absolutely unequivocally without the shadow of a doubt that the Bible is God's word and that it is all about Jesus Christ. The genealogy in the book of Genesis that goes from Adam, the first created man, all the way down to Noah, as in Noah and the ark, here are the list of names. Adam, Seth, you're like, what in the world? Wait. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, say that four times fast, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. Okay? This is the genealogy. That goes from Adam to Noah. Now, when you translate those names into English, here's what the names mean. And I'm going to go from Adam to Noah. Man appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down, teaching his death shall bring the despairing comfort. Okay, I'm done. Sign off. Turn off the lights, Billy. We're out of here. I'm saved. I can't believe that anybody on the face of the planet could know this and not absolutely believe in the Bible and absolutely believe in Jesus Christ. That in an ancient Jewish text, they hid the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Hello? Only God could do something like that. Uh, if if you are whoa, whoa, and you want to read more about that, uh, khouse.org. It's, it's khouse.org. Uh, and if you do a search, um, the gospel in Genesis, you'll, you'll find that. So, Faith gives us the ability to see things that ought to the spiritually discerning, to those who have been transformed, to those who have been given to Jesus Christ, to those who have been born again. It ought to give us eyes to see so that these things are simple for us, so that these things are easy for us. So we read, Paul continues, uh, but someone will say, but how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Here's Paul, foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps, wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body, here it is, as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. You guys ever see, anybody ever see in person the California Redwoods? You have? Tell me what that's like. I've never seen them in person. Insane, right? But like they got like some of them like tunnels cut into them, so you got to drive through. Absolutely the most gigantic, enormous tree. They're unbelievable. I had a little, remember when I was a kid, I had a little fax book. Remember, Mom, remember that? And it was at like the California, and I used to be just like amazed, and I always wanted to see these giant, enormous trees. How big do you suppose the seed is for a redwood, redwood tree? Well, it's got to be a bowling ball anyway. No, it's a little seed. But here's the thing about that little seed. Inside of that seed is all of the information, every single piece of information, I don't know, is it genetic when it's not a human being? Genetic code, whatever, that is required for that little seed to become a giant redwood tree whose branches are so huge and enormous that the tree actually on its own builds an undergirding under the branch to help support it. I mean, this all came from an explosion, clearly. All of the information that is needed for all of that is found in that little seed. Paul continues, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. In other words, the natural body and the resurrected body are as completely different from one another as a fish is from a bird. The body is sown in corruption. I should say they're as different as a seed is from a redwood tree. That's probably more appropriate. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body and it has raised a spiritual body. So, what are the attributes of the natural body? This is cheery this morning, okay? Good thing you have candy to comfort you. Corruption, that's, that's as soon as you, as soon, you know, as soon as you're born, you start to die. You know what I mean? Like Debbie Downer, you know, like like, like we're all really dying, especially on the inside. Corruption, corruption. You try, don't you? You wash your bag of skin, you scrub it, you exfoliate it, you shave it, you put perfumes, you anoint yourself with oil and salve, right? To make your bag of skin smell good, look good to the other bags of skin. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, there's nothing you can do about it that your flesh within its DNA code is corruption, dishonor, weakness, and it's natural. Now, here are the attributes of the spiritual body of the glorified body <laughs> in corruption you will never die you will never get sick you will never stink <laughs> right you will never ever have to get any shots vaccines wear masks any of it there is none of that you are you will be incorruptible the other attributes are glory power And these are the things of the spiritual. There is a natural body, Paul says, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus Christ, a life giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Think of the seed and the tree. And afterward comes the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. In other words, we are born with the programming to sin and to die. That is the programming, that is the DNA that you and I are born with. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Now, this is the difference. The spiritual body is programmed, it's in its DNA, its spiritual DNA, to worship, to fellowship, and to live forever. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that is, by birth, which comes from our parents, okay as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's your birth. You didn't choose that, right? We shall also bear the image the image of the heavenly man, which is by rebirth, which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. What this means is that when you are born again of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes into your life, here it is, guys, your spiritual DNA is literally, not figuratively, changed. Just because it's spiritual... Right? We tend to look at it as something that's kind of almost make believe. That's something that's kind of out there. No, no, no. In God's economy, the spiritual is more real than the physical. Okay? When we see the angels appear in scripture, they simply are interdimensional beings that can step in and out of dimensions. They are every bit as real, if not more real, than you and I. Matter of fact, weeks ago, who was it I was talking to? We were having a conversation, and when we think of angels, we just envision them in our minds and assume, what's an angel got? Like a bow and arrow and a sword. You know what I'm saying? Like they live in the dark ages, the angels. They're angels. They're interdimensional. Can you even imagine the technology that they have? Can you even fathom it? We can't. But according to the scriptures, the spiritual is more real than the physical. And literally, when we're born again, our, our spiritual DNA is changed. And guess what, guys? Guys. A metamorphosis begins. Romans 8, 11 says this. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What that means is this. The change doesn't begin when we die. The change begins when we are born again in him. This is why we're told to walk in the spirit. This is why we are told to crucify our flesh. God, through his word, is telling us continually, let it die. You have a new spirit. You have a new body waiting for you. And the metamorphosis has already begun. Let the old man, let the old woman die. Your flesh is holding you back from a beautiful change that will bless you and everyone in your life. Don't let the enemy rip you off with the deceitfulness of vanity or riches or pleasure. These are poor, poor substitutes for the greater blessing that comes from the change. Paul preaches the resurrection as mandatory to our belief. In other words, you can't be born again and not believe in the resurrection. It is essential to our faith. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. How important is the resurrection to you? What this means is that even Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross would be of no effect if he did not then raise from the grave. That is when the victory was sealed. Go through your scriptures and search. Every time Jesus talked to his disciples about the fact that he was going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men and to be killed and crucified, every single time he would then say that on the third day he would rise from the grave That was never, ever, ever separated from the sacrifice. Never. They are one and the same. The death and the resurrection. Resurrection is the hinge point of our faith. He continues in Corinthians. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, But we all shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, incorruptible, with a spiritual body. And we shall be changed from a natural body to a spiritual body. For this corruption, this corruptible, must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. Why? Why? Why must we put these things on? To be with your Lord. To be in the presence of almighty God. You have to be perfect. (laughs) You have to be incorruptible. You have to be without sin. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ has begun in each one of us. And that will be completed when we die or when Jesus comes back for his church. He continues to another point. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Their lives weren't easy, were they? What the apostles went through, what the apostles saw, what the apostles were were, were put through, the beatings, the tortures, the hunger, the cold, the chains, the imprisonment for no resurrection from the dead... I had one time, years and years ago, young Christian, awesome, awesome, awesome person, but young, young Christian. Even if God was going to send me to hell, I would still serve him. He's that good. And you know what I said? (laughs) Bullcrap. Excuse me on Easter Sunday. That's exactly what I said. No, you wouldn't. We love him. Why? He first loved us. Friends, it is all him. It begins with him and it ends with him. It is all because of what he's done. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, huh? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, Paul says, I die daily. Huh. So if in the matter of men I fought with the beasts of Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. What is the point? This is the other part of Paul's argument for the resurrection that makes the sense the most sense maybe to our flesh, and that is, why in the world would you keep yourselves from doing whatever you wanted to do, and why in the world would you suffer persecution if when we die there's nothing afterwards? It doesn't make any sense. Not only is the resurrection, and we're going to finish with this point, not only is the resurrection from the dead essential to our faith, it is essential to the finished work of God. The end of God's redemptive plan for planet Earth and for the inhabitants of planet Earth is the defeat of death. Second Timothy 1.10 tells us that Jesus has abolished. That's past tense. Has abolished death. As our pastor tells us all the time, when you close your eyes, you will instantaneously open them in glory. You will never lose consciousness of who you are or whose you are. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Now I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Revelation 19, 20. And this is right after Armageddon. This is right after the Antichrist gathers the armies of planet Earth to literally come to that that valley of Megiddo in Israel and fight against Jesus Christ. And that goes famously for him. Uh, Then it says immediately after that, the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now we fast forward from that point, Armageddon, Jesus returns to planet earth, he defeats the armies of Antichrist, he goes into the East, to Jerusalem through the eastern gate, he takes his seat on the throne of King David, and from there for a thousand years, he restores planet earth to the glory that it had when he first created it, and he rules all nations, the Bible says with an iron scepter, and it is a paradise for a thousand years. And then after that thousand years, Satan, who has been locked up in what the Bible calls the abyss or the bottomless pit, is released for a short time. There's been no temptation. There's been no choice given to man in those thousand years. And now it's given to them before the final kingdom can come. And Satan is released and he goes out to deceive the nations. And the Bible says that the army that they gather and bring against Jerusalem and against the Holy One of Israel is like the sand of the seashore. The final judgment on the darkness of man's heart. And, of course, God destroys them supernaturally. And then afterwards it says this in Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 and 14. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now here's the very last and final act of judgment. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire which is the second death. The final enemy to be defeated is death. Christ's victory over Satan and sin was won at the cross, but his victory over death was won when he was raised by the Father from the dead. And the only hope that you and I have of eternal life is because he did just that. So... We celebrate today, we celebrate our risen Lord, Jesus Christ, and we celebrate the fact that because He rose and because of our simple faith in Him, the Spirit lives in us and the transformation has begun from corruption to incorruption, from dishonor to glory, from weakness to power, and from the natural to the spiritual. Job says in 19, 25, and 26, For I know that my Redeemer lives... And he shall stand at last upon the earth. And after my skin is my bag of skin, that is, in the early translation. After my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. You know what Job's talking about? The resurrection. The glorified body he's going to receive. After my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I will seek God. Isaiah says this in chapter 25, And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees, and he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people. What do you believe is the covering that has been cast over all people that he will destroy? And the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken and it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. I'll finish with the words of Jesus Christ. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. Of all he's given me, that's you and that's me, I will lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day and this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life and i will raise him up at the last day amen let's pray heavenly father thank you so much for the resurrection of jesus christ the first fruits uh lord of the resurrection and we long and we look for that day father when we will be raised from the grave, or when our bodies will be transformed at the coming of our Lord, and we'll be with you forever and be able to sit in your abiding presence and see you face to face and to worship you heart to heart, Lord, because of the glorification. Of our bodies and the change and the metamorphosis that will take place father we ask and pray in jesus name that while we are remaining here on planet earth while we're here that we would remember we have a job to do father and that you have put in us all of the spiritual dna that is required lord to change to transform day by day lord bit by bit into the image of your beautiful son jesus christ father we pray that you would allow us to have hearts of surrender to allow that change to encourage that change in fact to run towards that change. Father, have your way in us and through us, and I pray that you'd bless every home, Father, that these people go to. I pray that you'd be with them today, that you'd bless them, that you'd keep them, you'd cause your face to shine upon them, Lord, that you'd be gracious to them, and put in their hearts, Father, the song of thanksgiving, the song of gladness, the song of joy, Father, the song of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, from the dead, Father, that would live in them and it would shine forth from their hearts, Lord, to all the people that they're in the presence of today and tomorrow and for all their days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And if you can, please join us downstairs for our Easter brunch.